Well, good morning, Discovery. Can you hear me okay? Wonderful. So, um, my name is Scott, and uh, I have the privilege of getting to speak with you here today. And um, I should have a slide up here in just a moment that has a picture of myself and my family. So, for those of you who don't know who I am, I am one of the Discovery Group leaders here at Discovery. Um, I lead that with my wife, Carrie. Uh, I don't know how well you can see her up there, and, and we, uh, later on this year, we will be celebrating our 15th uh, anniversary, so we've been married for quite a while. Thank you. Um, pictured also is my son, Elijah, who just turned 10 on Friday, which is kind of a wild experience if you're a parent to really think about, like, um, where we were 10 years ago and just how God has really brought us through. Pretty amazing journey uh, that way. And then we also have my daughter, Kayla, who just turned 7 last month. Uh, so hopefully you've seen us around a little bit. Uh, we've been coming to Discovery since August of 2013 when we moved down here from Eugene, Oregon. Um, I work over at the university, so that's primarily uh, what brought us to this area. And just we really felt a very strong calling from God to be in this area because we see him moving and doing some pretty great, amazing things that are here. Uh, my role over at the university is I work in the scholarships office. And so what I do there is I uh, am what's called a prestigious scholarship advisor, which is a really fancy title that simply means I recruit and develop undergraduate uh, applicants who are usually uh, high achievers for some pretty major external funding opportunities. So if you've ever heard of something like the Rhodes Scholarship or the Fulbright Program, I'm the person who works with students uh, on campus doing those things. So now that you know a little bit about me, I want to really just get into uh, what we're here to talk about today and, and to uh, just look at some of the things that Jesus has for each and every one of us. We're in the midst of a series right now called Confident, and we've been doing this for about five or six weeks. Hopefully you've had an opportunity to be here, to hear um, all or most of these, um, and if you have not, then you can certainly go onto the app or onto the website, and you should be able to listen to them. I'd really encourage everyone to do that. Um, there are really two goals that, that Discovery has in this series here. Uh, the first is to develop a rhythm of drawing nearer to God, which hopefully any church would say, hey, if you are here and you are coming, it's because you actually want to meet with Jesus and you are hoping to draw closer to God. So wherever you're at in your walk with God, um, we can always go a little nearer, a little deeper, and hopefully you're getting a lot out of this series to where you're getting to, to honestly just walk with that and say, wow, like these are ways that God is drawing me closer. The second, though, is that we're looking to build up a, a growing confidence in who God is that would encourage us to look beyond ourselves. Um, I don't know about you, but sometimes I've struggled where, uh, with keeping my eyes on who God is instead of on who I am. And when I focus on myself, this is where I really struggle at times to have that confidence in walking with God. So I'm pretty excited, though, that these are both uh, what we're looking to achieve in this series here because my topic today gets to be on service. And I think that that actually fits in really well with both of these objectives. And so I want to just kind of get into that with a brief introduction, we'll call it, to service. Um, when I first was presented with this, my, first, my uh, very first thought about service was about service projects. I thought, hey, service, that's obvious what that is. That's where we're going and we're doing things for other people. Maybe you build a fence, maybe you take a meal to somebody who needs it or something along those lines. And it certainly is uh, those types of things. 
But as I got into thinking about this more and more, I realized just how common it is for us to use this word service throughout our culture in a whole variety of contexts. So to give a few examples, if I were to say community service, you probably all have a pretty good idea of what that is where we are doing things out in the community to benefit someone else that might be voluntary, or it might be that you maybe broke a law and it, it now becomes compulsory. You have to do it. Um, there is also, when we gather together like this, sometimes people say, well, I'm going to service, or I'm going to a worship service, right? So a very different context of what that could mean. In the business world, really, really popular to talk about customer service. You know, where you think about that is um, how do you work with your clients to make sure that they are having their needs met so that they want to continue to come back and be repeat clients, getting the experience that they want and telling others about it. There's also in the military, it would be called armed services. And really just a whole variety of other uh, ways. So I'm sure wherever you are positioned in life, you can think of some different places uh, that service comes into play. But what I have found with service is um, that it's true in all the contexts is that there is a bit of a relationship of power that takes place. And by that, what I mean is there's always two parties involved. There's one who is doing the serving, and that's what we would traditionally refer to as the servant. And then there is someone or something that is being served. And that is what we would oftentimes call the master even if that's a, maybe a term that a lot of us are not real, real comfortable with. Now, I've also found that when it comes to service, we are not naturally inclined to want to do this. Um, there are some problems that come along. Some of them are just very general human problems. Some of them are a little more culturally conditioned problems. Um, and these are just my observations, my thoughts, and things that, that God has been showing me. But first and foremost is I think that most of us are really drawn towards uh, being in the position of power instead of being in the position of service. And what I mean by that is not necessarily that you want to have power over other people, but that God has made us in a certain way, but then sin has shaped us in a certain way to know what our own preferences are, to want to say, yeah, that, that's good, but I know how I like to have things done, and I want to be in that position where I can control things a little bit. Instead of saying, I'm going to be in a, a service position that says, I am going to actually uh, put myself at the mercy or the control of someone else and allow them to do things. Um, one of my favorite um, uh, theologians is a man named Henri Nouwen. And Henri Nouwen has a quote that I've gone back to over and over again, and what he says is this, one of the most arduous spiritual tasks is that of giving up control and allowing the Spirit of God to lead our lives. I think this is really poignant and I think it's really profound because it does speak to that even in a relational context where we know who God is, we know how good God is, we're people who believe in God, and yet we still struggle to just say, I'm going to let go. Let me let go of that power, that control, the decision-making ability, and say, God, I'm going to just simply trust you. So this is not purely a, uh, just you know, an, a non-spiritual thing, but even those of us who already trust in Jesus, who believe in Jesus, still have to go through a really lengthy process. Now, this is not entirely just because we're humans, but some of this is very culturally conditioned as well. 
Um, if you look at what our society values, I would make the case that our society really puts a premium on leadership and on people who are more of your type A personalities who are gonna get things done. As I mentioned, I work over at the university, and so universities, in theory, are producing uh, students to be ready for the workforce. And so what universities are then looking for will be somewhat dictated by what employers say they are looking for. And what we see is a lot of employers saying, we want to see people who are leaders. You just never see enough employers saying, actually, we've got enough leaders. I think we're good for the next 20 years, so just, just send us all your followers, like people who will just fall in line and not have creative ideas. Like, you just don't see that. And what you do get to see, though, is if you were to go onto a bunch of university admissions websites, you would start to see that one of the very first things that they talk about over and over again is, we are looking for leaders. You really will not see them say, what we're looking for are people who serve. That's what we're really all about. And to underscore this, about two months ago, there was an article that appeared in the New York Times, and it was called, Not Leadership Material, Good, The World Needs Followers. And it talked about how uh, this is part of the culture of college and admissions process, is that everyone's trying to position themselves to be a leader, whether they actually are or not because they know this is what you need to do to get ahead. And this creates a bit of a divide for us. And I'm not saying leadership is bad, but what I am saying is we may have culturally positioned ourselves uh, towards leadership almost to the exclusion at times of service. And that's a problem. Um, again, with the scholarships I work with on campus, let me just share that they have a variety of different contexts and things that they are about. One of the focal points, though, of some of them is specifically on service. And I can share with you across the board, as I recruit and develop applicants for these scholarships, these are the most difficult scholarships for me to get students interested in, to apply for. Um, I've had multiple presentations that I have given where no one has shown up. Even though I've done this in a variety of different ways, thinking, well, maybe I just didn't do it in an attractive enough way. Let me try it this way instead. It's the only one where I can say that. And so I share all this not to be shameful towards anyone or anything like that, but I want to position us to really think about who are we? Who is our culture? Does service actually matter to us? Because I will submit to you today, I believe service actually matters a great deal to the heart of God. So forgive me, it's a little bit of a lengthy introduction there, but I want to dive into the word today. Now, uh, we're going to be in 1 John 3, uh, verses 16 to 22. And if you don't have a Bible, uh, please raise your hand. And we've got servants here throughout the room who would love to give you a Bible so that you can follow along and so that you can uh, go ahead and keep this and make sure that you are in the word and you are connected. While you're turning there, I will just point out that this passage at no time uses the word service. Um, it, it just is not something uh, that it says, but that, that's something we get to look for anyways, because I think God is really demonstrating a lot to us about service in this passage. And you see this throughout scripture, that whether the word service is used or not, it's constantly being discussed. It's constantly being talked about. So if you'll read along with me here, uh, this is the Apostle John writing, and he says, by this we know love that he, that being Jesus Christ, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? 
Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Um, so on the way in, you should have been given uh, like a bulletin or a handout thing, and it's got some uh, things that you can fill in the blank. So if you are that kind of person who likes to follow along, please do so. Uh, we'll be putting things up on the board here, or on the screen, I should say. And I have four main points that I want to draw out of this about service today. Um, the fr and they're not all wildly complicated. Sometimes it's just the simple truths that God is speaking into our lives, and they are just, they're simply true, and so I don't necessarily need to add anything to them. The first is just to simply say that service requires us to lay down our lives and follow Christ's example. And we see that in this first verse, which I, I'm going to reread again, where it says, um, whoops, sorry, lost my place. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Now again, it doesn't at any point say, hey, this is service, but it does demonstrate Jesus Christ laying down his life for you and for me, which is, I would call, a very obvious form of service. And it doesn't leave it there. It doesn't just say, Christ laid down his life for us, isn't that wonderful? It goes on to say, Christ laid down his life for you and me, and now we should be doing the same thing. Now, John is writing at a time where these people may have actually had to take that in a very literal sense to say, wow, we may literally have to lay down our lives because the church was still very much being persecuted. And there's parts of the world today where that would still be true. But from our relational context, it's highly unlikely that many of us are going to have to lay down our lives in a very real, physical sense to say, I'm going to have to die for Jesus, right? But that doesn't mean that this point is invalid or of no use to us. Instead, what we get to do is we get to look at this a little bit deeper, too, to see that Jesus chooses to be subservient to the will of the Father. And he goes and lays down his life because that's what the Father willed for him to do. And he didn't say, you know what, I'm going to just go do my own thing, or I reject that. I'm going to still call myself by the name of the Savior without actually doing it. He just goes and does it. I think that that is a really important thing for us to really think about. Because, again, I think we all have preferences. We all know how we like things to be done. We all want it to be done in a certain way. And it's really hard for us to just take off that mantle of our preferences, of our choices, and say, God, I'm going to allow you to just lead my life. So I think this is tying right back into what we were saying earlier about the points of the series. This becomes an excellent opportunity for us to look outside of ourselves and ask ourselves, if this is what God wills to happen, then how am I going to do that? Um, so I don't know necessarily what that would mean in your specific context, but it's something for you to just think about and wrestle with and just really ponder over and ask God, how do you want me to do this today? What is the way that I can follow Christ's example by loving other people in my life right now? Um, second point is that service requires a focus that is both internal and external. 
So we go to verses 17 and 18. He adds, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us love not in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Now, I think about this, and this ties in, I feel like, very well to what I said in the beginning, that when I thought of service, I think about service projects or ways we can like, physically do something for other people and take care of them. When I think about this in internal and external, what I mean is this. I see it as there's an external, a semi-internal, and then a full-on internal. External, I'm thinking about this in terms of outside of the walls of this church. I'm thinking about people who don't know Jesus at all, who aren't likely to walk into this building, who are not just randomly going to show up one Sunday and go, you know, I was just thinking, I was walking on by, and I heard some stuff and thought I would go check that out. So wherever you've been positioned in life, uh, God has put you around other people. And so some of the question becomes, how do you get to serve God when you're not here today, when you're not around other believers? I think of semi-internal, meaning that it's still outside of yourself, but it's still within the comfort of these walls. These are the other people that you fellowship with, who you know, they already know Jesus, right? Um, that it's maybe a little more comfortable to talk with these individuals um, and, and just recognize that there's ways that they still need to be served as well. That could just be a phone call where you are there with someone or when you take them a meal or you have lunch with someone who's feeling down or whatever you know, that starts to look like, but it's part of us as the body getting to build up the rest of the body. Um, and then the third thing is this internal, which I really do think of as being exactly what it says. Internal to yourself. I know there's a number of people who are wonderful servants, and I've seen in my life, sometimes when you are taking care of someone else, you are serving them. I think about when my mom took care of my grandmother when her health was failing for many years near the end of her life, and I got to see the toll that it took on her body and I know there's a number of people who start to neglect themselves. The fact is, is that you cannot give away what you yourself do not have. So for those of you who are really externally focused servants, really about taking care of other people, but somehow neglect yourself, maybe you don't feel that it's okay to do that, I'm telling you not only is it okay, but it's essential. And that it's something you need to do. So what do I mean by that? Um, in this context, what I would say is it means that you need to make sure that you have a thriving relationship with Jesus Christ. It's one thing to hang out with the other people who are here or to hang out with people who are outside of these walls, but you will not be able to function effectively in ministry, in mission, in any of those contexts if you yourself are not drawing close to Christ. Imagine, if you will, that you went to a restaurant and you sat down and you asked the waiter and said, could you come over here and pour me some water? And the waiter showed up and they had a pitcher and they started to pour, but there was nothing in that pitcher. It would seem really strange. Why are you doing this? Well, that's my job. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. But the fact is, is that they wouldn't have anything to be giving away. So they need to go back to the source of the water, fill up the pitcher, and then start to give it away. Um, one point I really want to underscore here, though, is this is something that we get to do both of. 
It says that it's internal and external. You don't just get to choose one or the other. You don't get to make this about your preferences or where you are comfortable. And I've had to wrestle with that. Um, I shared with my discovery group, I think last year, that I just felt like I'm really not very good at this whole external part. But the internal, the semi-internal, I feel like I do pretty good at that. So maybe that's where God wants me and he has other people and they're supposed to do the external part, right? And I think it can get easy to kind of get tripped up on those types of things and, and honestly just start to believe that for a while. And I feel like God's had to really just step in and correct me a little bit and say, look, I'm not saying you're going to be the very best, you know, evangelist in the whole world, but here's the deal. You still have a role to play. I've still positioned you somewhere with intention and with purpose. I have a role for you to play right there. If I can also go back to discoveries, uh, it's either the mission statement or the vision statement. It says that we exist, right, so that we can serve the people of Davis, so that we can meet the world, right, or that we can reach the world. That's something that it's going to take a servant's heart in order to do that. Uh, third point I want to make is that a servant's identity is found in who they serve. Um, We'll go to verses 19 through 22, and it says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Now, I see a lot of words in there that make me think about my identity, that make me think, hey, I'm in the truth, or it talks about this divide between, hey, are you confident before God? Do you know who you are, or are you not? And on campus, I, you know, I feel like I hear a lot about identities, thinking about who we are, and, and that's essentially what an identity is, if I distill it really, really you know, down to its basic elements to say, it's a lot about who you are and who you believe yourself to be. And so part of my question, you know, for anyone here, or something I want everyone to think about and reflect upon is to ask, what is your identity? Do you see it rooted in Christ? And do you see it as being a servant of Christ who's willing to be moved where God wants you to be? Um, as I looked through, I found that Paul, in his letters to the Romans and the Philippians and to Titus, as well as James in his letter, Jude in his, and Peter in his second letter, all open up with this introduction where they state their name, and then the very next thing they end up telling you is, they'll say something like, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. These are all recognized leaders in the church. These are people who could have said, a leader of the people who follow Christ, or someone who's been specially selected and, and, you know, talk about all of their accolades, but they chose not to. They very intentionally chose to identify themselves as being servants of Jesus Christ. And that's part of the example we get to see. It's something that they take upon themselves with joy, and they take it upon themselves knowing this is important. It's not about me. It's about Jesus Christ. That's who I'm serving. And so they definitely linked their identity, who they are, to the one that they are serving. Paul takes this uh, in the book of Galatians, in chapter 1, verse 10. He also says, Am I now seeking human approval or God's approval, or am I trying to please people? If I were still pleasing people, I would not be a servant 
of Christ. So we get into, again, this, this being, this identity, and he knows, I am a servant of Christ. And he makes a distinction between who is it that he's trying to please, and then what does that make him? In my own life, if I really think about it, I can tell you that I know who I am apart from Jesus. It's not something that I want to think a great deal about, but it's just reality and it's just true. And I think it's important to know who am I apart from Jesus? Who would I be if Jesus wasn't in my life? Like every one of you, I am a sinner. Um, but I also, that, that's where it stops there on relating to everyone else because I don't know you all that well to say if the other things are true or not. But in my case, I can tell you I'm a very selfish individual. If Jesus was not in my life, I wouldn't care about you. Uh, I would care about me. I would care about money. I would care about power. Uh, just think of all the, the big vices in the world. That's what I would be about. Because I'd have no incentive not to. I mean, realistically, because that's what we are taught to be about these kinds of things. And I know that I would recklessly pursue them. And I don't say that just to, to sound churchy or anything. I just know myself well enough to know I could run people right over and not think a thing of it. And just say, as long as I'm accomplishing my objective that serves my interests and my needs, wants, desires, that's what I'm going to do. Um, and from time to time, it still comes out. So if you think of me that way still, then please forgive me. <laughs> um, Within that, though, I, you know, something I think about is when I was younger, and maybe you all have done this too, I can remember talking with friends and just asking, hey, when you grow up, like, where's somewhere you want to visit? People would say things like, I want to go to Hawaii, or I want to go to Europe, or always oh, somewhere really, really nice. One place no one ever, ever said is, I really, really want to go to Haiti. Never. And I never said that either. Hey, I really want to go to Haiti. I really want to go to the third world because I've also been to Cambodia. Um, and this is something that, again, I can really look at my identity and say, why am I doing these things? It's not because there's money there. It's not because there's power or influence or infrastructure. It doesn't have any of those things. It's because this is where God has positioned this church to have this vibrant, relationship with Danita's children, and there's an opportunity to serve. And there are, are just, you know, a huge number of kids there that benefit when we go and when we serve. I've been there twice now. I encourage everyone here to think about it, and I'll keep talking about it, because Haiti really is awesome, you know, to see what it is that God is doing there. But there's no way I would go and do that and, and take up my own time and lead through that if it was just purely up to me. It's because this is a work that God is doing and we get to come alongside of that. And I think that part is pretty amazing. Uh, the fourth point I would like to make is that we serve as an act of worship. Um, so this kind of ties into knowing our identity, right, in who we serve, but that point there has a lot to do with our own focus on ourselves. Hey, what is my identity? But this one here, we serve as an act of worship, really focuses in much more so outside of ourselves, to know that when we serve, we are worshiping someone. It's not just knowing who we are and in relation to God. It's now saying the service that we do actually says something about who God is, not just about who I am. Um, 
looking through scripture, depending on the translation you use, there are times where the words worship and service are actually interchanged for the exact same spots. So one example would be if you go into the Old Testament where God uh, tells Moses, go talk to Pharaoh. And repeatedly he sends him and says, go and tell him, let my people go that they may worship me. In some translations it says that they may serve me. So this is going to start you know, very early on in Scripture. It moves forward. When you get into Paul's letter to the Romans, in Romans 12.1, we see it say, I appeal to you therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Presenting yourself to God, right? Saying, I'm going to serve you in whatever capacity, whatever location, whatever place you have for me, that's what I'm going to do. And it says that that demonstrates who it is that we are worshiping. Um, when Jesus is tempted by the devil, in his third temptation, he shows him the whole world and says, I will give you all of this if you bow down and worship me. And Jesus' response is, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. It's not just words that we hear and go, hey, that's a really neat concept and like I'll walk away with some more head knowledge. It's actually really practical. It's really useful stuff that you can use to say because of knowing who I serve and making sure that as I do it, I'm serving God, it very directly links into the choices that we start to make and the ways that we approach life and the ways that we approach, um, uh, you know, resisting temptations even and, and the devil. I will tell you that one of the really important things about it, though, is it answers what I would call the so what question. When I was an undergraduate, I studied history and I had this one professor four different times. And he brought us through uh, a lot of term papers. And, and in history, we do a ton of reading and a ton of writing. And he would tell us, so what you're going to do in this paper is you are going to come up with your point. You know, you're going to make your thesis statement. This is your claim. You're going to spend the rest of your paper really providing evidence of this, supporting that claim. And you're going to get to the end of it, tie it all up real nicely. And you're going to have proved your point. And then he would say to us, so what? And by that, here's what he meant. What difference does this make? If you have come through here, you've argued, you've made your point, what difference does it make? Why should anyone care? Does this in some way contribute to the discussion, to the knowledge, to the literature of what's going on in this historical subject? I would argue that when we serve, we answer the so what question to people who say, so you're a Christian. So what? You, you're telling me about who Jesus is, but so what? What difference does that make? It's when we serve that people get to see this service in action and get to see what difference that makes in our lives, in how Jesus is working with you and with me, and how we are then able to, to demonstrate the love of Jesus to those around us. Um, I'm a quotes person, so you've already heard one. I have one more for you, and this is from Theodore Roosevelt. Um, and he said, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I think service is really, really important on that level as well. People just don't care. They just don't. Like, I can come and tell people all I want about Jesus, but if, if my life doesn't line up to that, 
it doesn't matter what I'm telling them. In fact, if my life doesn't line up, people are very quick to pick up on that. I mean, people are smart, right? And they're going to look and say, you keep telling me these things, but I don't see it. You tell me this is good news, but why is it good news for me? It doesn't make sense. So people need to see faith in action. They really, really do need to see this. So I would be loath to stop here and just leave it at that. But what I really want to do is take it into just a couple of key points because my hope is that everyone here walks away and doesn't just go, hey, that's a nice message and now I'm going to just leave and go on with the rest of my day, but that this will substantively impact you in the way that you walk in your life. And again, I want you to walk with confidence. Discovery wants you to be confident in your walk with Jesus and in the way that you serve. So four real easy points here. Uh, I think we're putting them all up on the board all at once. You can write them down and then I'll break them down real fast. Uh, The first is that you should get to know your master. Uh, It's very, very simple. I've already said it, that you just aren't going to serve well if you don't know who the one is that you are serving. There's not a lot of exotic ways to do this. Prayer, you know, uh, there is scripture. Go spend time in the word. If you don't have a Bible, let me point out again, we have some here, take one with you. If you're not in the Word right now, challenge yourself on that and say, let me start by spending five minutes or reading a chapter a day or whatever it takes to kind of get the process going. If you are doing that, then hey, challenge yourself to set aside a different priority and say, okay, it's important that I'm with the Master. I want to go and be with my Lord and with my Savior because the more I do, the more I'm going to love Him and the more I'm going to want to serve him. Uh, The second is serve with other people. Um, We're we're such an isolationist culture. We're such an individualistic culture. And if we try to do this on our own and through our own strength, what we often find is we're going to fail. We're going to find excuses. We're going to find reasons not to do it. Um, Other people are great, too, because you're going to have weak points weaknesses in your life, and you're going to have times where someone else is there to lift you up through that particular weakness. They're going to be able to build you up and sustain you. Um, One example for me, two weeks ago, our discovery group went and we did, uh, we participated in eye care, and we went and uh, helped clean the house of one of the um, uh, foster care workers. Now, We had decided as a group ahead of time, hey, we're going to do this. And so we went and we did it and we all signed up. I promise you, if we hadn't signed up, I wouldn't have gone that day. Because I know that I woke up that day and I'm like, my schedule's just been slammed. It's been really busy. I could use some time off. I don't feel particularly well at this moment. I would have found reasons to not do it. But because we had already committed and because there was a group of us who were doing it, that helped bring me along. And I don't think that it was the most amazing thing that I've ever done, right? It just is something we did, and, and hopefully the person uh, understands. You know, or they, they got some benefit from it, and they know that we're doing it because we love Jesus, right? Um, so there is good that certainly came from it. But I know how, how it can be, how hard it is to say, hey, I'm going to choose to do something, and then I'm going to stick to that. So that's hard for all of us. That's human, Um, That's just a reality. Now, the third thing that I want to say is that God has placed you where you are 
and there are opportunities to serve all around you. This is very intentional. I don't know how you came to Davis. I don't know how happy you were about coming to Davis or if this was your fallback location or your fallback to your fallback. But whatever that looks like for you, understand God has a plan. And he very intentionally has positioned you here and there are things that you can accomplish. There are needs all around us. Some of those are right here inside the church. Some are outside of our walls. Um, there's, there's a lot of ways to get involved. Now, one of the things I get to do here, as uh, uncomfortable as that may be, is I get to lovingly challenge us and call out something. Two weeks ago, I remember hearing this brought up on stage. Hey, we did this great thing. We did eye care. Who of you out there participated in this? The response was, frankly, quite tepid. If this had been my first time attending, I promise you I would have walked away and said, this church is not interested in service. It's just not a priority. It's not something that people are wanting to do and they are committed to doing. Maybe I just showed up on the wrong Sunday, and that's certainly what I'm hoping. Maybe we just had the wrong time, you know, a lot of busyness going on in our lives. But I've also been around Davis long enough to know this. Busyness is a reason we use to get out of things we don't want to do. Um, I see that happen across the board. I see it when I meet with students. I see it in the community. People are busy, and you get to make choices about where you are going to spend your time. I think there's a lot of ways right here in Discovery that you can be helping out. So even if you're busy, you might say, hey, I, I have a lot of busyness going on in my life, but on Sunday mornings, I can come and, and you know, help run the sound booth or I can help with the, the welcoming tent out there, because maybe that's something I enjoy doing, right, to connect with people. Maybe you've got some time available midweek at the downtown ministry center, they need some you know, assistance with that. Um, those are kinds of things that if you're wanting to get involved right here in Discovery, come talk to one of the leaders here, and they can tell you about how to get involved with doing things. Um, wherever you are though, on campus, in the community, Start to really just open your eyes to look for places. Hey, what are we doing in our neighborhood? What's going on at my work? What's taking place in this area where my kids, I don't know, they play baseball or whatever it is that they do. How can I get involved and serve there? Um, I do have one very specific example of something that you can do. Coming up on the 4th of July, we are going to be partnering with the city of Davis for their celebration that they do, where they you know, light fireworks and all that stuff, and they will do it on the fields that are right out here. Um, and that's where a lot of people show up, but they show up really early, and then there's, they're just waiting, because people want to get a really good spot, right? And they bring their kids, and then what do you do? There's nothing to do but just wait. And so Discovery sets up tents where we can kind of do some fun and game kind of activities and things where it allows us to connect with people who might not normally be here filling these seats. And so part of my challenge is to say, you may not feel like you're particularly wonderful at a lot of things. It may be hard to identify, like, how is God wanting to use me? This is an opportunity. Mark it down, put it on your schedule. I, again, I know how this goes. It's easy to say, yeah, that's an option. That's an idea. But I really want to hold that open because someone might be having a great barbecue that night. And they might want to do this other thing. Like, we know that's going to happen. There's not even any question about it. But some of this is about making intentional choices to say, okay, I'm going to step in and be involved with this. 
I did this for the first time last year. It was a lot of fun, had a really good time. Um, I'm not the best, but I was there, and I, I do think presence communicates quite a lot to our community that they matter. So if you are wondering, how can I get involved? I would love to see people showing up to this here. Uh, last thing up on uh, there is identify what your gifts are. Because I do believe there's a lot of people who may really want to serve, but maybe you just don't do it because you're just not sure what's the best way to do that. What am I good at? God has made every person here really good at something. In fact, at a lot of some things. And really bad at some things too, because that way we need each other. For me, I'm, I feel very comfortable being up on stage. This is just not a big deal for me to stand here in front of you and speak. Um, I do believe that's a gift that God has given to me. And it's one that has been cultivated over time. But the fact is, is that a lot of you would be, uh, you know, really fearful of having to do this, really nervous. They talk about this as the number one fear for most people. This instead of dying, right? Most people would rather die than speak on stage. To me, I'm really comfortable. Like, this to me is no problem whatsoever. But here's where it gets really weird. As much as I can stand here and I can talk with you all, if we go back there into the lobby before or after service and there's people there I don't know and I've never met, I don't have anything to say. <laughs> Nothing at all. And it's really odd to me that that's how I'm shaped and that's how I work. And yet there's some of you who would be just scared to death to be up here, but are so natural just connecting with people out in the lobby, figuring out what are these gifts. They don't always have to be, you know, these things that we think of as the really obvious gifts. Oh, this person teaches or they play an instrument so they can be on a worship team. A lot of this is just identifying what has God made me passionate about? What has he made me skilled at or just gifted in? What is something I actually, maybe I'm not gifted in, but I would like to learn the skills? Oftentimes, church is a great place to learn how to do things like that. Um, because the question becomes, how do you take those skills then and say, okay, I want to put those to use and translate that into a ministerial context where it's for the mission of the church. It's reaching to the city of Davis so we can impact the whole world. It's building up the body that is right here. I am extremely confident that God has made every person in this room really gifted at a number of things. And so some of this is just drawing it out. And there are ways to do that, whether it be through your own reflection. Talk to people around you that you know and that you trust. Ask them, what are the gifts that you see in me? Give them permission to speak into your life authentically to say, Scott, I think you're really good at this. I think you're maybe not as skilled at this as you might think you are, right? Like, perhaps this is where you want to stay away from and focus in a little more on these things. Because um, it's helpful. And if someone's doing it lovingly, it can really help you figure out what is my place. Um, I also, I'm a big person in believing in things like personality tests, so if you've ever done things like StrengthsFinder, I found that to be really useful. Uh, there's also things like uh, the Myers-Briggs personality test, just things that will help you clarify. It's not about how I feel I am, but these tests are objectively, so to speak, telling me some things about me, and it's useful to get to know. Um, so one final thought I really wanna leave everyone with is this. I believe service is a choice. 
I think it's a choice that, that we have the ability to make and we can say, is this a priority to me or is it not? And you can step into that and say, I, I don't know how I'm going to serve right now, but I'm going to do it. I'm going to talk to one of the leaders here and say, hey, I really want to get involved with serving. Like, help connect me up with some of these things. What resources do you have? And we'd be happy to do that. If you want someone to pray for you, I know in a little bit we'll have people praying over here. And you can just talk with them really authentically. I really want to serve. Can you pray for me and just help me so that I, I know how to do that? I, I think that this is a priority to Jesus. And so I think that as a result, I hope that this would be a priority to each of us as well. And so I'd like to encourage each of us to be a servant of Jesus Christ every day, wherever you have been positioned, wherever you have been placed. Will you bow your heads with me? Jesus, I just want to thank you so much that you do love us. I thank you that you loved us, Lord, enough to come and die for us and to pay the penalty for our sins and that you are stronger, Lord, than death and that you've conquered death and you rose again and that you connected us to the Father. I thank you, Lord, that your love never fails, that it's never ending, and that, Lord, we get to be people who worship you and we get to be people who serve you as a result of this. And Lord, we just pray that your spirit would move now in our lives, showing us, Lord, just what are the ways that we can live out our faith for you, just live out each and every day, Lord, whether it be right here amongst other believers, Lord, or whatever other places you've put us in life. Help us to be led by you, Lord. Help us to agree with you and to obey you and to serve you with all of our hearts. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.